The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. If you'll turn to John chapter 13, and while you're turning, just uh, I didn't hear if Marilyn announced it, but you know we have our annual business meeting right after the service this morning. It will be brief. Um, We'll give you about five minutes. Those of you who have to get kids and uh, get them in here, and we'll get right at it and get you get you out of here soon. John chapter 13, we're looking at our reasonable service. And we're looking, first of all, at verses 13 through 17. <clears throat> Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed or happy are you if you do them. Following the Lord Jesus Christ is an individual matter. When, when we say that a disciple <clears throat> is an individual matter, we're saying that it is something that an individual himself must do. No one else can be a disciple for you. You can't join a church and consider yourself a disciple if others in the church are discipling. And uh, the Lord indicated this when he responded to that great question that was asked of him uh, in Matthew chapter 20. And he answered the question, first of all, by, by referring to Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. But then immediately he spoke of our relationship to others. And he quoted Leviticus 19, verse 18. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. As on these commandments depend all the law. In the prophets. So let's look first of all at love in action. Love in action. What should our relationship to others be? Well, Jesus demonstrated what he had in mind. He, John tells us that in the Last Supper, Jesus uh, observed with his disciples prior to his arrest and crucifixion. It says that the master got up from the table. He laid his clothes aside, he wrapped himself in a towel, he poured water into a basin, he got down on his knees, and he washed their feet. An action like this was unheard of. In fact, so much so that outspoken Peter, uh, John 13, 6-7, says he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. That wasn't enough for Peter. Surprising, right? Peter said to him, you obviously thought he washed my feet. Now, you got to give Peter a break here because this is the Lord. I mean, he's thinking, I should be washing your feet. But notice Jesus continues. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Peter, if I don't wash you, you have nothing to do with me. 
And in great Peter fashion, verse 9, he said, Then, Lord, wash my feet, not only my feet, but wash my hands, my head, you know, take it all, right? But you see, discipleship is a human example of Christ's sacrificial heart for his children. You and I proclaim Jesus' love by our actions. This is what is so significant about the passage we saw last week in John 13, 34 through 35, which says, a new commandment I give to you. Well, Jesus came to satisfy the laws and the commandments because none of us are capable. No human is capable of satisfying the law. So then Jesus said to him, there's a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, but not just love one another, Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So considering the meaning of loving Christ as he loved us, you realize that Christ loved us with a sacrificial love. And what's so important about this is he continued in verse 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, the beautiful people, the beautiful thing about having a heart of Christ is that everyone observes what you do. They won't always listen to what you say, but they'll observe what you do. And when they see you and I loving one another with a sacrificial love, with a forgiving heart, with a merciful heart, there is something in there they want. There is something there that's important to them. And this is why it's such a passionate and great witness. When Jesus was finished washing Peter's feet and the others, he put his clothes back on, he went back and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I have done to you? Well, they obviously did not. He continued then to speak to them on the, on the verses that I, ju- I started the message with. So with this little bit of understanding and and, and ground laying, let's look at what I read right at the beginning again, uh, John 13, 13 through 17. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So according to that explanation, following Christ means serving others in accordance with the example he has laid down in Scripture. It's fulfilling the law of Christ and doing so by honest discipleship. So notice then Christ's ministry as a living example. Higher earthly ministry was a great example of what foot washing was a parable. So here's where we see the greatest contrast between Jesus' example and Satan's example. Between Christianity and the world. Philippians 2, 5 through 7 says... Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to grasp, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
and being born in the likeness of men. Jesus' role was to come and be a servant. Now, thinking of this, the God, the creator of the universe, who creates man, man rebels and falls. Man is on his way to a Christless eternity. Yet the Savior, the one who created him, Colossians tells us that all things were created by him and for him all things consist, took on the form of a servant and came to serve sinners. Now this was confusing to them at the time. But now contrast this with Satan. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of David? How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? Satan, how did you blow it? You were second in command. God gave you all the joy and the privilege. How did you fall from that? Well, he continues, verse 13. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Satan's way, which is the way of the world, is a sharp contrast to Christ's way. In Christ's foot washing, we have an illustration of the attitude that causes a person to serve others in a manner that teaches us to follow Christ. The foot washing is a parable of the greater service Christ was performing. He rose from the throne. When he wrapped a towel around his waist, this was the uniform of a servant. And finally, he poured water into a basin and washed their feet. And in a few short hours, he would shed his blood to wash their sins away. When he had completed the foot washing, he returned to his place at the table. And in the same way, after his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus ascended to heaven where he is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 1.3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What a sharp contrast to humankind. What a sharp contrast to what we do in life, seeking to gain what we can for our own benefits. There can be little doubt that here Jesus was deliberately working out a parable for the instructions of his disciples. He was dramatizing for them the character of his ministry. He was showing them by this means that he had come into the world, what he had come into the world to do, and what he would send them out to do. He was illustrating the heart of a true disciple, a servant's role. Our living before each other as Christ loved us. And there are so many far-reaching aspects of this. We could sit here for weeks. But if you stop to think how easily we become frustrated with things in life, no matter what it is, someone mistreats you, someone does something to offend you, 
job doesn't go right. You, you can name hundreds of things. But the attitude that Christ was putting into the hearts of his disciples was a servant spirit. What they could do to serve others. How then shall we serve? How should you and I serve others? Well, we could probably come up with hundreds and hundreds of ways. And of course, there are always the classic ways. Let me give you some ways that aren't usually thought of initially when you think of being a servant. Number one, we should listen. We should learn to listen just as love begins by listening to the word of God. So the beginning of love for the brethren is learning to listen. It's interesting to find out that the word listen and silent use the same letters. Did you ever think about that? Listen and silent use the same letters. The reason listening is so important is not always because people have important things to say, well, they might, but you understand that people are desperate to get out what's on their heart. People are shouting out their thoughts, and listening is a key to understanding where they're actually coming from. I often get a kick out of Facebook. You know, those of you who just love Facebook, you can find out real quick what's on somebody's heart, can't you? I mean, you listen to the things they quote or the things they say or, or how they put things out there. It doesn't take long to find out what's on their heart. But sometimes people won't sit with you and tell you that stuff. So learning to listen is actually a key to discipleship in helping these people get to where they need to be. Christians should be the greatest listener the world has ever had. But many, like the world, are more important in getting their own thoughts across and don't listen. And so they miss what's really going on inside. That you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it works. So the key here is when you listen to someone, what does that person learn about you? If you're not so quick to want to get your thoughts across and you want to listen, what do they learn about you? They learn that you care. They learn that there's things more important to you than just getting your thoughts across. And the more they open up to you, the more honest they are and the more comfortable they are in sharing what's on their heart. And as James says, they begin begin to confess and you have the ability to turn them back to Christ. James 5.20, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The one thing that was always consistent with Jesus, he was often confronted, but he always listened and then tailored his answer to fit the need. He always listened and then tailored his answer. So you and I need to learn to listen. Number two, we should help one another. Now, that seems pretty obvious, but one of the key roles for the church is the fellowship of the saints. This leads to a better understanding of the needs of people. There will be people who need to be fed, thirsty ones who need to drink, others who need clothes, lonely ones who need visits, and sick and dying ones who need comfort. When you fellowship together and you're with one another, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves, 
you get to know people better. I can't tell you how many times someone comes up to me and they hand me an envelope and they say, would, would you give this to so-and-so, but don't let them know where it came from? They've heard by fellowshipping they have a need, and the Spirit prompts them to meet that need. The problem is that helping people is seldom convenient. We have our own schedules and, and who isn't busy. But having a helping heart, a surrendered heart that's willing to help others in needs is a very key role in discipleship. Number three, we should give to others. The word says, the world says, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine if I can get it. That's what the world says. The Christian says, I have nothing but what I first received from God. And therefore, I am only a steward of my possessions. What's mine is yours if you have need of it. We have a great example of this in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. Now you read that and you go, whoa. That's, that's pretty daunting. Well, obviously, that's a prompting of the Spirit. If we all did that, pretty soon we'd all be poor and have nothing to give to anybody. But the reality is, having a servant heart, you make available what others need. Whether it's giving them directly, whether it's bringing it into the storehouse of the church and the church uses it for ministry, however it falls by the leading of the Spirit, we have this great joy. This is for Christ, Christian living that God calls some to. And that's the key that we need to be sensitive to. We must also not forget that the best giving is often just the giving of ourselves. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians about financial matter, he commended the Macedonian churches for their rich generosity. <clears throat> he explained in 2 Corinthians 8.5, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. The Macedonians were able to be generous with their money because they had first given themselves to the Lord. The Lord owned their hearts. The Lord owned their wills. And everything they had was open for anyone's need. And what a blessed picture this is. So the key to honest discipleship is a surrendered heart. Number four, we should bear one another's burdens. Now, this is, this is very interesting. You recall that we saw how we are to love one another in John 13. We were to love one another just as he first loved us. And how did Jesus first love us? Well, we go back to Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, we know he did that in salvation and drawing us to him in the first place. But as we come to Christ in absolute honesty, he bears our griefs and he carries our sorrows. And this leads us to the description of the whole of the Christian life. <clears throat> Galatians 
bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Coming alongside one another and helping to shoulder that load. Last week and the week before, we talked about the yoke, about coming along and being in the yoke with Christ and the reality that as you're in the yoke doing the work, it's God who's pulling the weight. We're yoked with him. And we saw how coming alongside other Christians and being yoked together with them in ministry and service helps to spread the load. Well, here the reality is that when we bear one another's burdens, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. That means we have a surrendered spirit that Christ can work through us by his spirit. And we help to shoulder the weight. People, many people, are loaded down with burdens. Many people are carrying burdens that they don't know how to deal with. And when we come across, come alongside them as true disciples and shoulder that weight, we help the healing process. The key is that church services, Bible studies, small groups are particularly important. Because the more you and I are together, the more we learn about each other. The more we learn about each other, the more we trust each other, the more we're able to minister to each other. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I mean, Christ could come back today. It could be a thousand years. We don't know. <clears throat> but as we've seen through Scripture, today we're closer than they were, we were yesterday. And who knows when we'll be called. Because of that, we're to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Who did you stir up this week to love and good works? Well, I wasn't around anybody this week got it. That's why it's important that we're together. That's why it's important that we minister together and come alongside each other to encourage and stir up each other to good works. Number five, we should restore one another. Speaking the truth in love has as its object the complete restoration of another person. In aiding in this we perform what perhaps is our greatest form of service. And here we get closest to what Christ's example of foot washing was all about. In his explanation of his actions to Peter, we learn that that Jesus chiefly had in mind the cleansing from sin followed by the restoration of the sinner. When Jesus told Peter in John 13.10, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. Of course, he was referring to Judas as the not every one. But he's telling Peter that he's clean. And this is very interesting because it's evident that he is not thinking about physical dirt, but about sin and the way to be clean. He was telling Peter that, he was just a justified person. Peter was saved and therefore only needed to be cleansed from the contamination of sin's effects from sin, or sin, not from sin's penalty. 
So the image here is taking from uh, an oriental example where a person would be going to dinner at a friend's, and so he would take a bath and get completely washed and clean, but because his trip to his friend's house, he was wearing sandals and the, and the, the road was dirty, when he got to his friend's house, he needed to have his feet washed. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him to a, in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourselves, lest you too be condemned or tempted. So how do we seek to restore a brother? Gently. A bucket of scalding hot water doesn't help anybody. Or ice cold water. It's a gentle spirit that loves with compassion, comes alongside someone that's struggling and aids them to get back on track. And that was the illustration Jesus was using by washing their feet. They were already his men. They had accepted him, but the constant penalty of sin needs to be washed. And this includes loving forgivingly having an attitude of always ready to forgive and show mercy. Sometimes that's tough, especially if someone has really hurt you. But the heart of Christ is always ready to forgive. And that is the example that Christ lived before us, and that's part of this new commandment he gave, that we're to love as he loved us. What a great picture Jesus laid out, especially in the whole foot-washing thing. And then we come to the path to happiness. You recall when we started this series three weeks ago, right at the beginning, I took you to Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, and we looked at how the psalmist so loved the law. Now, the law was impossible to fulfill. It was known as a taskmaster. It was difficult, it was hard, yet here is this psalmist talking about the tremendous joy that came from the law, because he realized that by obeying the law, he had the joy of the Lord. And so interestingly here, on the last verse of our text in verse 17, it says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Some of the translations say, happy are you. But when you saw the beginning of the Psalm 1 where it said, blessed is the man, and then gives you a whole list, the word blessed literally means to bestow plenty of good things upon. In other words, by obeying Jesus and fulfilling the law that he set before us, there is more joy than you could ever imagine. There is more peace than we can comprehend. Because when we get our minds off our humanness and off what we think is important and off what we want to do and serve Christ as he laid out before us, we're not only getting joy that makes us happy, we're getting godly joy. We are literally getting the joy from Christ. He is imputing his joy into us because we are obediently fulfilling the law of Christ. And to the true disciple who loves the Lord, there is nothing more satisfying than knowing you're walking in the Spirit. And that is the great example of this foot washing. And it's the thing that 
I must confess, boggles my mind, even though I understand theologically and I understand what's happened in my heart. But to realize that the creator of the universe came to serve me, a wretched sinner, his death on the cross was the greatest humbling service that will ever exist for all time. But yet he loved you and I with that cross. And to know that kind of love, to understand that in our crazy mixed up world when sinners are fighting all the time and and even sometimes your closest friends, you get into tough scrapes. But to know that there is a God who loves you more than life, who is willing to die to take our place, to satisfy sin's penalty so that you and I could be with him forever. That is a love that is never fully understood this side of glory. But I can only imagine that day when we get there and we walk on those shores and we realize, unbelievable what was done for me. Unbelievable. I, you know, I think of Billy Graham's passing this week and all the years of his ministry and the millions of people that were turned to Christ because of him. But do you realize that the most vile sinner who walks through heaven's doors has the same reception as Billy Graham? The most vile sinner, the thief on the cross, who was nothing but a thug, a criminal, Saved in the very last moments of his life, there was such rejoicing in heaven over that soul. That's how Christ loves you and I. So when he came and took his clothes off to the side and put that servant's garment on and got down on his knees and washed the filthy dirt off those disciples' feet, you begin to understand that This is the heart I need to have. This is the walk I need to walk. This is the very thing that keeps me on track. Because no matter what anybody does to me, no matter what is ever said to me, no matter how mistreated I am, I have Christ in my heart. And the Holy Spirit is there to guide me through all this truth. What amazing joy. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The happiness comes in serving Jesus. It's fulfilling the law of Christ in our circle of influence and beyond. It is a key to honest discipleship. Honest being the key. Are you a true disciple? Of Christ? Does he have your heart? Do you know him as your Savior? And if you do, have you surrendered your will to him? I'd like you to watch this brief video, this song, and I want you to consider the words of this song as, as they are played before you, and then we'll close in prayer.
Father, as we look at the tremendous beauty that was yours in your servant spirit, we look at the beauty that's there for each one of us who obediently follow your love and leading. May we be a beautiful church because of the deep love and compassion that we have. And may we be a beautiful church because we have a servant spirit, the spirit of our Savior, the mind of Christ that was given to all who obey. Father, I pray that you would work in the hearts of each one of us calling us to a deeper surrender to the great joy that you've provided that we might be able to walk as you walked, to speak as you spoke, to show mercy and grace as you showed mercy and grace, to bear one another's burdens as you bore our burdens, and together be united in a wonderful peace that will send a resounding testimony to all who see us. May we die to self and live for you and so fulfill the law of Christ. I ask this in your precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll give you about 